When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing. Anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by former Syracuse basketball player Otis Hill. I talked with Otis about his Syracuse career, playing in the 1996 National Championship game, his time working in a juvenile detention center, and his newfound love of horses. Well, welcome back to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. And this is gonna be a great episode, folks, because I got one of the most fan favorite players in Syracuse history with me today, his former Syracuse center, Otis Hill. How you doing, Otis? Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to finally get you on this podcast. when I reached out recently, I went back through our messages and stuff on Facebook and on my texts, and I've been chasing you down for almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a while, man. We just been real busy with the move and, you know, just life and with COVID, it was, it was a lot, a lot going on. Well, let's get right to that because you have had a lot going on in your life. And before we started recording, um, you know, your, your wife was right there helping you log on. Congratulations. <laughs> It's, you're coming up on your one year anniversary. Yep, it's been it's been a great ride, man. We met at uh, work. Um, she actually asked me to get married, <laughs> which is kind of the funny thing. We were sitting in the car one day, and she said, "You want to get married?" And I said, "Yeah, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, surprised you know, she didn't withdraw the offer. <laughs> Listen, she she kind of looked at me like, yeah, you better have said, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it, the, she's not on camera, but congratulations, congratulations all to, to to the lovely Brittany. So, and say thank you, hon. <laughs> and and there's been a big change in your life. Uh, you guys met where you were working before up in New York, and mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that part of your life and your career too. But you guys have moved to Kentucky. Yeah, the wife and I, you know, I traveled around, you know, in my playing days around Europe and I was used to traveling. And my wife was a little bit of a traveler, too. You know, she lived in Hawaii for a few for a minute. She lived down south a couple of times. And I think she just was getting bored (laughs) of New York. And I think we just really both needed a change. And 
We had been to Kentucky a few times. Her best friend, uh, Jessica, lives in Kentucky. We came here and just kind of fell in love. I can't help but find it incredibly ironic. Yeah. That you're, I mean, one of the, the most famous games of your SU career was against Kentucky in the 96 championship game. And now you're living right outside of Lexington. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You know what's funny about that, Mike? I really have finally matured at 48 years old. <laughs> I've finally grown into this mature adult because for years, I hated Kentucky. I have family out here that I hadn't come see because I was like, they ruined my life. I hate them. If I see them, I'm going to get into a fight. <laughs> and it, it, the maturity is great now because I really do love the state of Kentucky. Just I think I like being down south and being in the country atmosphere. Well, that is a big change for you because yeah. you grew up in, in White Plains. I know part of your childhood, you were living in the Bronx. Yeah. Right, you're, you're yeah, the it, yeah, you're right. It is. It, I think that's what's appealing to me, because after being in the city for so long and being in New York, you kind of just you just need to change once in a while in your life. And and the South just seemed it screamed everything I wanted. You know, I got ten acres. Um, we sit outside. It's calm. It's slow pace. You know, New York is you know a New York minute. Hustle and bustle, and now it's just slow motion, and I'm really enjoying it. Well, that's really cool because, listen, in your previous job where you were working before your move, you had a job that was high stress. Uh, you were like, I don't, I don't want to say corrections officer because I don't know if that's quite right, but you were working at a juvenile detention center, right, in, in New York. It Yep, in upstate in uh, Cleverack, New York, I worked at uh, Brooks Brookwood Secure Center. What was that like? Um, it took me back to the days when I was living in the Bronx. Okay. <laughs> it really did because a lot of the inner city kids I had were from the areas I, you know, played ball in, areas I lived in, and um, it was just. To, to see these kids, man, from from places I've been, just to see how how bad things have gotten, it, it was it was rough at times. But I tell you, I miss it and I love doing it. Really, that's interesting to hear you say that because I would think that's a job that if you get out, you you got out for a reason because you you it was just too much. Because well, Mike, you know it's it's. It's something about me that I always love to give back. And that's why Brookwood was kind of like a perfect job for me because I felt like I was helping the community out, helping my culture, helping kids who need help. Mm -hmm. And to the core of most kids, there's always good. You know, for a lot of kids, even if they've done heinous acts, even if they've done horrible, horrific acts, to the core of a lot of kids, there's good in there. And a lot of these kids have been damaged, have been hurt, have been just abused. And when you help some of these kids, and I, I helped a few, not 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 the numbers I'd wish I could help, but the few that I helped and I still keep in contact to to this day, it was really satisfying to see them thrive and become citizens in our society. 
is how hard is that? Uh, or was it something you had to develop in that job to try to focus on your few successes and, and, and somehow deal with the ones that you, you, you weren't able to help? Oh, it's extremely difficult. People who do that job, I have the utmost respect for because correction officers, you're right. It's not the exact term that all people don't realize is a lot of the kids that I dealt with were in for murder, for drugs. I had a kid who had juvenile life, which is he gets locked up until he's 18 and he goes in front of the board. And this kid could end up spending 20, 30 years in prison. You know, and it, it's 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 such a gratifying moment when you have a successful kid because they're so far and few. And to hear some of the heartbreaking stories, it's sometimes you just say to yourself, it's no wonder this kid can't function in society because of all the pain and heartache he's went through. Man, that would be really hard. I I don't know. I know a lot of people would not be able to handle that, would not be able to do that job. It would be, for me, it would just be too much. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it did sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you got to, in a job like that, it's, it's, it's awful to say this, but sometimes you have to pull yourself away because you kind of lose yourself a little bit in, 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 all the, in all the misery. You know, you try to be positive and you try to be an upbeat person, but it's hard to tell a kid that has no dad, mom is an addict, um, lives in a, in, in a poverty-stricken neighborhood, no education. Oh, you can do it. You can go to college. You know, they, they can't grasp that sometimes because all they know is the street. So how did young Otis Hill oh. survive the Bronx and where, you know, other places where you lived when you were little, if you were ever little? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a little at one point. Um, I really got to take testament to my dad, my mom, and like just my overall family members. Mm. You know, I can remember, I can still remember being young and a friend of mine getting killed, and my dad being like, We're out of here. And we literally packed up. Our entire apartment and moved, I want to say, in about 12 hours. Wow. Yeah, my dad just, my dad was a no, very no nonsense man. He didn't, he didn't play games. And he said to me, he's like, I know you're going to hate it, but we're leaving. You don't have a choice. And this, when you get older, you'll see why I did it. And it's funny because now I'm older and I see exactly why he did what he did. Sure. Yeah. When we get older, we all figure out what our moms and dads were trying to do. Oh, and it's <laughs> awful, Mike. It's awful because I repeat things to my stepsons that my dad say, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, that's okay. You got to revel in that, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, speaking of family, you had a fairly famous cousin that played ball in the Big East too, right? Yeah, Danier Abrams. And we can still see Danier whenever Syracuse plays Boston College because he's still doing the radio, uh, the color commentary. Yeah, he he really, you know, he's really gotten into his own with it. He's, he's, he's gotten great at it because uh, we talk 
and he came out to Louisville, but I was busy with work and we didn't get a chance to catch up. But next year, we're definitely going to get up. But um, I love seeing him do it because he loves the game. And I think he really missed his calling. He should have been a coach. Really? Yeah, but, you know, you, you know how that is trying to excuse me, you know that he's trying to get on a team and play in Europe and he really missed his calling being a coach, but he keeps himself around the game with the radio and he really enjoys it and I think he's getting really good at it. Yeah, I saw him and talked to him last year when Boston College played Syracuse at at the Dome. So it was always really great to see him and I think he appreciates seeing somebody who remembers um, how good he was. (laughs) Right. Oh, he definitely does. And he any player, but especially him, because you know he was always, he was always that underrated player. You know, he was always that underrated guy. And I think he really loves when people recognize him and say, "Oh, I remember you. You were one heck of a ball player." Now, if we're talking about underrated players, let's refresh some folks' memories out there of Otis Hill. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you played in an era when we had guys like John Wallace and Lawrence Moton and some really. Um, yeah. Boy, I'm trying to remember who else you, you played with. Um, you would have been a redshirt freshman when Dave Johnson was the star, right? Yeah. So Conrad but, was Conrad McCray was uh Michael Lloyd. Dave, right, Mike Lloyd, Dave Syot was still it. Yeah. All right. So let's remember Otis Hill over 100 career starts and over 1,400 career points. I bet you I can win a lot of bar bets with people on, a, on an over-under on how many points Otis Hill scored. 1,004. Huh? 100% you would. <laughs> now, I never really took you as a, as a score. So, you know, describe the arc of your career as a guy who went from redshirting a freshman year and then moving into the starting lineup. I know you split time with J.B. Snyder. You guys were the ultimate center tandem. Yeah, it, it was. It, you know, Syracuse was kind of humbling because I had went in high school. You know, I was a big fish in a little pond, so I could dunk on anybody. I shot threes. I mean, I basically did whatever I wanted in Class C basketball. And even when I started going up a little bit like playing against class B and small class A schools, I was still pretty good. But that introduction to college basketball was a little bit different. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I had Conrad who I hadn't seen a guy like that ever in my career playing. You know, I knew some guys who could jump and, but Conrad was lean, strong, super athletic, super quick. And, he made me think, like, okay, I got to do some readjusting and I got to learn how to score in the Big East because there's some monsters in the center spot. <laughs> so it it was just really, you know, I really got to give a lot of credit to Derek Brower. Derek Brower told me I'm the type, he said, Otis, I got one move for you. And if you do this move, I guarantee you, you will have an assortment of other moves you can go off of. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at DB, and he, he just showed me a simple jump hook. I kind of looked, and I was like, but I'm a little bit more flashier than that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you, know you know, being a 19-year-old kid, you know. But then I started using it. And the funny thing is, it became my go-to move, and then I could do a whole other assortment of moves off of it. So 
being a big man was different because I, you know, like I said, I played all positions in high school. And having to be in a center spot, I had to make some adjustments. What was it like to? I mentioned JB earlier, JB Reef Snyder. What was it like <laughs> to kind of work with him at the center position? Because it was interesting. You guys weren't the same sort of player. Right, I hated it. I could. I, I when I tell you the first when Bayheim used to switch me and him out. Oh my God, my I used to cringe. I'd bite my lip. I'd be on the bench like I'm gonna end up beating this old man up. <laughs> and, and, and one day, I think it was it was either it might have been Adrian Autry. Or maybe even a half. I can't. I, it was like I think I was talking to both of them, and I can't remember which one said it. But somebody said in the effect of, "If you can mesh you two guys together, you'd be a first round draft pick." <laughs> and I kind of looked at him like, "What?" And then he was like, "Well, look at it. You're the inside bruiser. You're athletic. JB's got a smooth jump shot." He's got good hands. He sets, you know, screens. He'll take charges. And I kind of really understood that we were definitely polar opposites. But in certain situations, you need a certain type of player. And I started to roll with it mm-hmm. and, and understand that, like, that was one of the key things that got us, I think, to the Final Four. I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Because you both you guys in that 96 season just elevated your games as the season went along. And you were, you were tough. You would, you would start, show the other team one sort of way to play center. And when you came out, JB came in and and it's like bringing in a curveball guy after having a fastball pitcher for like five innings. Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what it was like. And and it was, I love Joe Boy. I love JB to this day. We still kind of, Keep it that's a little bit on Facebook and we text each other, but he was definitely he was definitely one of my one of my favorite teammates. All right, we're gonna have to put JB down as the as a podcast guest real soon. We'll have to reach out. Definitely. To <laughs> definitely. Now, you know, a little bit of limited time here. I want to get to some special things. That 96 season, um, which is your fourth year at school, you're a junior that year. Um you're your freshman season, you guys lost in the NCAA tournament in overtime to Missouri. Yep. The next year in the NCAA tournament, you lose in overtime to Arkansas. Yep. And I was wondering, <laughs> that Sweet 16 game in 96 against Georgia, when it goes uh-huh. to overtime, are any of you guys thinking like, oh, my God, here we are again in overtime. Are we going to be just be like a, a tough out or are we going to finally get this done? Honestly, Mike, I'll tell you what we were all thinking. And people won't admit this. John, how are you going to win this game? <laughs> <laughs> that was basically because I'm looking at coach like, like are we calling a timeout? Because I think I had fouled out. I think I fouled out in overtime. And I'm looking at coach like, are we calling a timeout? And I don't think we had any more timeouts. And if we did, coach just said, I'm going to put it on John's shoulders and and that year, John really put us on his shoulders a few times. And, I mean, that shot he hit was unbelievable. And when he shot it, all I could say was, it's going in. And I looked at it, and I'll never forget, I banged my head right on the ground because I knew it was going in. And, and Coach just had enough trust in John not to call a timeout and let him hit that shot. You know, if we're talking about that Georgia game, before we get to overtime, 
we got to go back to the end of regulation, that inbounds play where yeah. John had the ball at around half court and he throws it cross court to the far baseline for Jason yeah. Zapola. Yeah. Do you remember like the timeout before that play or what was said between guys or coach? Honestly, I think John drew that play up. <laughs> if I remember, I'm getting old, Mike, so I don't know, but I'm not 100% sure, but I'm 90% sure John drew that play and it went exactly how he said it was going to go and Sip just, he hit that shot. You know, we all we all knew that John was our leader, but he put it in Jay's hands to get us to the next step, which was overtime. And and Sip stepped up and hit that shot. And it was that shot was probably one of the toughest baseline shots I've ever seen. It was certainly memorable. But like yes, John's sir. pass was impossible to duplicate. I mean, that oh, was he good. always thought he was a quarterback. John always thought he was a quarterback anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a Cowboys fan to, to boot. Oh God, yes, he was. <laughs> you know, I want to talk more about '96, but there's that I mentioned a couple of those NCAA games in your early years. Right. How 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 awful was that loss to Arkansas in '95? I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, to me, that will probably go down in history as the second most brutal loss I've ever felt because... Arkansas was the running Rabs, and they had all these big names and Scotty Thurman and this and that. And we were right there with him. And we know if we had played a little bit better down the stretch, we should have beat them. But um, it was tough, man. It really was because we had some real – we had some dogs on that team. We had Lawrence Moulton, Luke Jackson, myself, John, JB. Um, we had a crew, and to lose to them when we know we should – to beat him. It, it, it was it was definitely it was definitely a hurtful loss. I want to ask you about another former teammate of yours. You know that '95 team had all those guys you mentioned, plus Michael Lloyd. Mike oh, was supposed yeah, to come back the next year, but yeah. he ran into some academic difficulties and he doesn't come back. And Lazarus Sims steps <laughs> in that year as a fifth year senior. What do you remember about Lazarus and, and that whole dynamic with him that season? Uh this is a near dear one to me because me and Z, we were kind of close. We, we were very close in college. And his frustration, I knew, and a lot of guys knew it. But he he tried to keep it the best he could. But being a young kid from your hometown, you know, that's rough. Mm-hmm. And, Mike, when he got, when he got that, that starting job and he knew it was his, he took full advantage. <laughs> he didn't care. Yeah. He would wave Bayheim off sometimes. <laughs> he was he was very adamant that this was his team and he deserved to be the point guard. And he let us all know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can remember Bayheim calling a play 
And I'm standing there. I'm like, Z, I'm screaming. He said, get out of here. And Bayhop said something. He was like, shut up. <laughs> and he ran a play. I think it was the beat. Was it Villanova at home? Maybe Villanova. Somebody at home. And uh, we won the game. And, and he looked at me and said, that's how it's going to be for the rest of the year. <laughs> and I cracked up. And he, he was a man of his word. He, he did what he wanted to do. I mean, that 96 year was, I mean, that was the Big East at its best. I mean, Georgetown had Iverson, Connecticut right. had Ray Allen. Kerry yep. Kittles was the star at Nova. Yep. You guys kind of slid in there as that dark horse for much of this, much of the season. I remember a lot of folks going into the NCAA tournament were talking about all these other Big East powers. You guys mm-hmm. kind of got overlooked. We took that personal. I took it. I know I took it super personal because – Nobody talked about us. Even when we, even when they did the brackets and we were at Manly Fieldhouse, I can remember John was sitting in the front. We were all sitting around him. And after they announced us, he turned around and looked at everybody and said, yeah, we can win this. And I've never felt so much, I want to call it silent energy because everybody, it was a hush over the room. And then Bayheim kind of looked around and said, bring it in. <laughs> and when we said team, it was such a, the way we said the word team, I felt like right then and there is when everybody made up their mind that we were going to go as far as we can and we were going to win that. We really believed in our hearts because nobody believed in us, but, you know, that that didn't believe in us as much as we believed in ourselves. Well, I remember that we talked about Georgia, Kansas. In the Elite right. Eight, Paul oh. Pierce, Ray Friends, yeah. Scott yeah. Pollard. Yeah. And you guys beat them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you that remember one. your numbers? Uh, all I remember is Wayne Morgan coming to me and saying he, he photocopied um, an article that Ray LaFrance and Scott Pollard had said, oh, all we got to do is stop John Wallace. We don't even care who the other guy is. And he highlighted it. And he put it in my locker before, I think it was the day before the game. And I read it, and I read it, and I, and I was quiet. <laughs> I was quiet. The, the whole practice, the night before, I was quiet, and I remember getting in that game. John looked at me. John was like, oh, big old ready today. And I did a move. I did an up and under dunked on Rayful Friends. And I'll never forget, I looked at him. I said, oh, you going to know my name by the end of this game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Coach Morgan knew how to push me the right way. He really did. I, I really hated that he left. But beating Kansas is definitely one of my uh, – one of my – my bad, my great basketball achievements because my wife works with a woman who is a diehard Kansas fan. Oh, well. And she actually knew who I was. <laughs> I walked into the restaurant and she's like, Oh my God, your husband, yeah, he beat us. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah Kansas. Good oh, game. Man. 15.6 rebounds. Yeah. And, and, and again, you're splitting time with JB. I think uh, you played only 25 minutes. So you were yeah. efficient. Yeah, you, listen, Bayheim let me know. Like, look, the way he was coaching us, me and JB, 
we knew that if one screwed up, the other one was waiting on the bench to come in. And me and JB just dealt with it, and, and we just said, okay, I'm going to play to the best of my ability, and it kind of worked. You know, it really did in 96. It, it, it kind of worked. Now, my stats may have suffered a little bit, but we won, you know, so I can't really complain about it. How much do you treasure the memory of you guys all dancing around Al McGuire singing Cuses in the House? <laughs> Let me tell you something, Mike. That was one of my greatest memories. I People crack me up when they talk. They're like, oh, man, when Al McGuire almost fell, and I laugh, like, <laughs> around tournament time. People will ask me, you know, how was it, man? How was it? I was like, you know, it was one of the best times of my life. But uh, God rest his soul. Uh, Al McGuire was a great man. He was also really funny. He was. And he loved life. And he lived it. So He, he really did. He really did. You said earlier that Kentucky game, you don't like talking about it too much. <laughs> you guys actually thought, I mean, Kentucky had like, a, I don't know, about eight or nine future NBA players. You guys Fact. had one. Fact. <laughs> And we still thought we could beat it, and we and we came we came close. But I, Kentucky Rick was smart, and Rick said it to me years later at uh, Boston Celtic tryouts. We had just got finished working out, and he said, "The only reason we beat you guys is because I had I made up in my mind that I was going to double you every time you got the ball." He said, no other team doubled you. He said, I respected you. Mm -hmm. He said, I was not going to let you kill us. And I said, Coach, I wish you would have just that one game. <laughs> just that one game. Well, he was right. I mean, he tells you what a great coach Rick is. Right. In the first five NCAA tournament games, I, I, I looked up the stats. I don't know this off the top of my head. I'm not Rain Man. <laughs> you were 35 of 50 from the field. You shot 70% in those first five games. Kentucky right. doesn't help out. You know, they don't help off of you. They double you as much as they can. You were right. three for nine. Right. Exactly. And, and they were big and, and they, they just made life hard on you. Now, John had a whale of a game, Whew. but, but yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let you have the kind of game that had made Syracuse special. Right. And, and, you know, now being older, like I said, being more mature, I understand Dick Rick, Rick did what he had to do to win that game. And, and it was a great coaching move because I had planned on my first move. I had already dictated what I was going to do. I was going to try to drop step in the middle and dunk right over Scott Pollard. But when I got the ball, I still remember it. I turned to make the move and I'm like, wait, why is Derek Anderson here? What's going on? Wait a minute. <laughs> why are there two people here? So they, they definitely, they definitely did a great defensive job on me. Yep. And they were deep, and it was they were just they were a really great team. And Tony Delk had a great night. And what are you going to do? Yeah. But I just remember the sadness. Lazarus was inconsolable. I mean, you know, you couldn't you couldn't console Lazarus. Nope. Um, John was mad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I just I was just broken. I was like, we could have won that game. Like to have that chance and the not win it just really it, it hurt but it was an awesome game and it was a great time it really was well that was a great time in Syracuse basketball history those 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 years when you were playing and I, you had one more year after that you had your senior year 97 yeah you had a great year I, the team didn't do as well as it had before but you were second team all big east let's yeah. not forget that 
True. <laughs> and now you're back in Kentucky. And before we started recording, I said I was going to ask you about this. So before we let you go, you have become a horseman or a cowboy. <laughs> yes, Tell us about the, the horses. Um, I got to thank my wife because I had throughout my life, Mike, I've had I've had a little bit of anger issues, you know, after my dad died and never really. I had a lot of anger issues after my dad died, and I wish I had sought therapy before that. When, well, how old were you wife, when he died? Uh, my freshman year. Oh wow, wow. Yeah, and it and I and I held on to it for so long, and my wife was like, "You're, you're a little angry. We need to, we need to figure something out." So she put me on a horse, and let me tell you, when you're on the back of a quarter horse, or we have what's called uh, draft crosses, which are like draft horses, like the Budweiser horses. Big ones. And they're mixed, so they're like in between those. Okay. And when you're on the back of one of them, I I, I don't know, spiritually or whatever it does, it kind of relieves it, and I love my horse. <laughs> I really do. I love my horse. We go trail riding. Um, It's just a great thing. Horses are really one of the greatest treasures that that this universe has given us what's your horse's name luna luna okay yeah <laughs> that's so awesome yeah, Otis Hill, the world's biggest cowboy <laughs> well let me tell you texas there are a lot of cowboys my size <laughs> right but none of them have the post moves you do so that's a fact that's definitely a fact <laughs> Otis, this has been great catching up with you. I so appreciate you taking the time here. Uh, Anytime, Mike. I'd love to do it, man. It it was really great catching up with you and seeing you again. All right. Listen, again, thank you to Otis Hill for joining us here on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. We'll see you next time. I want to thank Otis for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast and follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.